But if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to take it out and to or turn it on and join me in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Uh, as Doug was up here, uh, this actually happened this week, so uh, this is not a fairy tale. This is true. And uh, my wife and I uh, and our kids were in the car and we were driving somewhere and I thought I recognized Doug's car in front of us. And we came to a stoplight, and I said, that's Doug. And Jenna said, how do you know? And I said, I can tell by the back of his head. So there you go, Doug. You said nobody wants to look at the back of your head. Well, I can tell you. And also, Doug called me earlier uh, in the week when the weather forecast was coming, and uh, he said, uh, Lou Gehrig, uh, Joe DiMaggio, and then Cal Ripken. I knew what he meant. He meant streaks end. And so uh, growing up in... Uh, Virginia, we always watch the Baltimore Oriole games, and so um, it, it, it was one of those things where uh, we had a really good run with our 9 a.m. outdoor service, and we were able to have it every single week since May 17th until today, uh, but praise God, we're able to be here uh, and opening his word, singing his praise, and I'm so glad that, that you are here too. So let's pray, and then let's look at God's word together. Father, we love you. Uh, Father, we're so grateful for your great love for us in Christ. Uh, God, we do say, uh, what a beautiful name is your name. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the power. Yours is all authority. Father, our sin, our sins, they are many, but Father, your mercy is more. So today our souls sing, praise the Lord. And Father, now we turn to your word and we are so thankful for your word. We ask that you speak to us through your word. Uh, Father, we're thankful that your word does not return void. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, you will help us through your word to listen, to not just hear, but to listen. And then, Father, not just to walk out, but, uh, but Father, to do as we read in your word, and that's to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And Father, there's no greater need than for us to simply trust in you. And Father, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for the rest of the month of October, we're going to look at John 14. Uh, it may spill into November, but we're going to look at John 14. I set this up over the last couple weeks. Last week, we looked at uh, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when he talks about uh, the consequence of trusting his word, right? That what he says carries weight, that we must respond accordingly, and that there are uh, consequences for uh, our believing, our trusting him, or not doing so. And so what we said is when we come to look at Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, it's not an intellectual exercise, right? We're not just simply reading in order to say, okay, sure, but we are to order our lives around the words of Jesus. That is the biblical call. Now, we're going to read here in John 14 uh, a passage of Scripture which you've probably uh, heard before, uh, even if you're not um, overly uh, familiar with God's Word or you historically uh, have not grown up or been very active in a church, you likely have heard this text. You probably have heard it uh, at a funeral. Uh, it is a, 
a well-known passage uh, in that setting. It is where Jesus will say in John 14, 6, as we'll see in a moment, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But I want to set it in its context. I want to see when is Jesus saying this? What is the setting of it? Why does Jesus say this? And then what does Jesus mean when he says this? Now this will come out... uh, as we go through this text together, uh, but it's important that we understand, right, a fundamental uh, foundational belief, right, that I have, and I believe the Bible lays out, and we'll see this in a second, is that we do not establish the meaning of the Bible. We don't establish the meaning of the text, right? The author establishes the meaning. So we are saying, what does the author say Right? What does he mean by what he says? And then our job is to respond to what is said. So let's read the first seven verses. That's what we're going to look at today. We're not going to look at them exhaustively, but we're going to look at the first seven verses here in John 14. And then I'm going to set it in its context. Let's read it together. Jesus there is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, have, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now this leads in verse 8 to Philip asking a, a, another question in response. And, and it's important. We'll look at that over the next coming weeks, but let's, let's focus here. So I know that I covered this text to some degree last year when I preached through Jesus's I am statement uh, in John's gospel. But we're going to look at John 14 in greater depth. Now, the context here is we are uh, on the eve of uh, Passion Night. So Jesus has just shared uh, the, the Last Supper uh, with his disciples. He's teaching them. And in John 13, he tells them that he's going away. He tells them he's going away, and he tells them that Peter is going to deny him. Now, you can imagine for the disciples this would be troubling, They had risked everything to follow Jesus, right? They had given up there, largely from what we know, that it seems that they had given up at least the great majority of their, uh, of their, um, um, I've lost the word, their, um, what they do for a living. Starts with a P. Professions. I just, I was like, why did I just forget that word? So they had largely uh, given that up. Uh, and following Jesus. And you'll remember, Jesus says, right, the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head, right? Jesus tells them to follow him, and they follow him. And they travel around with him. They go where he goes. Um, they have this interaction with him where at least they believe that he likely, we saw this a couple weeks ago, he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And they are, they are with him. And now he says, listen, I'm going away. You can imagine that that would be, what? 
are, are, are you kidding me? And then Peter is going to publicly deny me. Now, what does, again, think a couple weeks ago, what do we know about Peter? Now, Peter is the one of the 12 who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And now Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Now, yes, a few verses later, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, a few weeks ago. But that was because Peter said, Lord, I'll never let you get crucified. I will not let that happen to you. I will not let anything bad happen to you. And now Jesus is saying, Peter, you're going to deny me publicly. The disciples are thinking, well, look, if Peter's going to deny him, and if he's going to leave us, what does that mean for us? So this is the context of John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, if you mark in your Bible or you take notes, uh, make a note of that word troubled. Literally what the word means is to agitate water. That's what that word means. And so if you think about water, right, if, 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 a, if a glass of water is, is just sitting there, it, it's fine. Now think about it. If you shake the glass or you boil the water, the water becomes, it starts stirring or it gets agitated. And that's the, that's the root of this word troubled. It means that internally the disciples were now like boiling water. They were like water that is shaken. They, 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 they're not calm and their hearts are troubled. Why? Again, the context. Because Jesus said, listen, I'm going away and Peter is going to deny me. And then he says this, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, some translations uh, in English may say, you believe in God, believe also in me. It's because the tense of the word believe can either be a command, like you believe, or uh, what's called an indicative, just means you are believing. So some will say, well, you believe in God, so believe in me. I am convinced by the commentators and the translators who translate it, believe, it you, or believe in God, believe also in me, as two commands. You know, what's interesting about this is, again, I, I want to lay this out week after week. This is another example where we must not apply our lens to the Scripture. We must step into the Scripture and see what it's saying. And anyone who knows the way first century Judaism would work and who simultaneously claims Jesus never made any claims to divinity does not understand verses like this one. Because you would never tell someone to equally believe in another human the same way that you believe in God. Let's think about the religious leaders. These were not people who went and took a Thursday evening, right? They, they just decided, I've got my regular day job, and then I'm going to go back to school and take an extra class on the Old Testament. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were experts of experts of experts. Like, we are so excited that Awana is returning uh, this Wednesday. But in Jesus' day, like we have the kids memorize scripture, in Jesus' day, to be a Pharisee meant that at any point you could have a pop quiz where they would take a script, drive a nail through it, and ask you what word and what letter did the nail go through. They knew the Old Testament, right? They knew especially the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They knew that. They had to have those memorized. And let me ask you, you can say it out loud, through, even through your math, what was their charge against Jesus? Was it he was a good moral teacher? Was it that he did really good works in the community? What was their charge against Jesus? Blasphemy. That Jesus claimed to be God. And here you have his disciples. He says, 
Believe in God, believe also in me. Now here's what's interesting about that. Some of your English translations may say trust. Any of your translations say trust, trust in God, trust also in me? So, so Mary, you say that yours, yours does say that. Now here's, it is a, it is, I actually really like trust there. Because here's why, and I've mentioned this before. The word in the Bible there is the verb pistuo. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because when the noun of that is used in your translations, it's translated faith. When the verb is used, it's translated believe. Faith and believe. Now, I think that's perfect in their right translation. The problem is the connotation that you and I have with those two words is not always identical. And really, faith, biblically, is active trust. The call to believe in Jesus is not just to say, intellectually, sure, got it. Yep, I, I, I understand that. Biblically, the call to believe in Jesus is to trust him, to actively trust him. Right? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Right? It is to trust Jesus. It is to depend on Jesus. It is to put your hopes, your dreams, your affections, your life in his hands. That's what Jesus means when he says, believe in God, believe also in me. It doesn't mean just simply to mentally assent to, sure, that's who you are. It means I'm willing to trust you with everything that I have. Now here's what's interesting. These disciples had largely done that to this point, right? They had left their professions, I remember at that time. They had followed him wherever he went. If you'll remember, Jesus turns one time and says, are you now going to leave me like the crowds? And Peter said, Lord, to whom would we go? Like, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. That's why here, when Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me, the disciples are shaken. Not Peter. Right, Peter's the one saying, Lord, we don't have anywhere else to go. And now Jesus is saying, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Jesus turns and says, listen, don't be stirred. Instead, trust me. Here, here's what I, here's a, a, a foundational truth for you in my life. The response to our souls being troubled, our souls being shaken, is to trust in Jesus. In moments when we are stirred, in moments when we are shaken, in moments when we are troubled, the biblical call is for us to trust in Jesus. And then he says this, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now, in this, I'm going to highly disappoint you. And I apologize. I take no pleasure. Because um, if any of you grew up like me, I mentioned this, I've been a Baptist longer than I've been a Christian. You'll remember... Um, I used to all, do you guys remember when we would have services where you would call out? Um, I mean, we haven't been able to do anything major like this in seven months, but are you familiar with services where you like call out songs or hymns? Okay, so I used to do, always do 475, Victory in Jesus. That's what I remember. Or there was, there was one of the Baptist hymnals had a hymn called God of Earth and Outer Space. You should Google it. The lyrics are out of control. And I recommended that one time and I got in big trouble. So I, I, I didn't do that anymore. So, um, victory in 
uh, Jesus, 475, and in that it talks about a mansion that he has built for me in glory. Now, the word mansion comes from the Latin translation of this. Now, it, it, it's fine, but sometimes we make a big deal out of, I've got me a mansion up there. It's not exactly the per- point, not the purpose or the point of what Jesus is saying. He just is saying his father has a house, and inside that are a bunch of rooms. The word here, mansion or room, just means a place to dwell. It just means a place you live. And what's interesting is the point here is not whether it's a mansion or a small house, but it's not a temporary house. That's the point. The word there, translated room or dwelling place or mansion, however you want it, means it's not temporary. That's the point what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is, you're not going, my father doesn't have a hotel room for you. Right? You don't have a three-month lease on this. And then you've got to figure it out. What he's saying is, in my father's house, there are many permanent dwelling places. And he says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, here's what's interesting. We tend to think of, and, and this, is, this is part of it, we tend to think of Jesus' preparing the place as being all something that he did after he ascended. You've got to remember the context. Jesus is going to prepare the place for you and I to dwell with God on the eve of when he is speaking to his disciples. His preparing the place is about what he's getting ready to do in his death and resurrection and then going to sit at the Father's right hand. He is preparing the way, this is what he's going to say in a moment, in order for you and I to have a relationship with God, to be in God's house. Now, again, this is the way that this worked in those cultures. If you had a family home, what you would do is you would just keep adding rooms. So what Jesus is saying here, my Father has many rooms, many dwelling places. They're not temporary Right? You're not staying for one night. He has many permanent dwelling places for you, and I am going to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now, this is bridegroom language. That, this is bridegroom language. If you'll remember, biblically, the engagement period was legally binding. You remember that from Joseph and Mary? Right? Jo- Joseph was thinking of divorcing Mary because of what had happened. It would have been a legal obligation here, even though they were yet to be married. So it's a legal contract, right? It's not just something you say willy-nilly, sure, I'm not saying we do that now, I'm just saying it's, you understand it's legal. But what would happen is the bridegroom, once there was a bet- they were betrothed, would go off, and guess what his job was to do during that time of the engagement? It was not to taste cake. Right? It was not to pick the songs for the DJ. It was not to, to decide whether or not you want three buttons or four. Or to figure out how cheap you can get your suit or anything like that. The job of the bride and groom was to build a house. And once he finished building the house, guess what he did? He went back and he got his bride. So this is bridegroom language. Jesus is going and preparing a place for his disciples that he will come back and take them that they may be where he is. 
Now, here's what's interesting as we turn to verse 5. Does the Bible call Thomas Doubting Thomas? No. In fact, in the Gospel of John, largely Thomas is portrayed pretty well. I mean, Thomas actually seems to be a quite a good disciple of Jesus. He's a good follower of Jesus. He just happens to ask a few questions. Have any of you ever asked any questions? We mentioned in, in the account with John, in, in John chapter 20, where Jesus um, you know, says, blessed are those who have not touched or seen. And he talks to Thomas. Thomas was not in the room. The, the text explicitly says Thomas was not in the room the other time Jesus had showed up to the disciples. So he wasn't there. Here, Thomas maybe doesn't fully get uh, everything that Jesus is saying. But let's not be overly harsh on Thomas. We have the full revelation of the Bible. We have the explanation of everything that's going on. And there are still a lot of times where we sit in studies and otherwise and we say, hmm, I don't know about that. What does this mean? This is all Thomas is doing. And let me tell you something. Here, I praise God for Thomas. I praise God for Thomas because we get a... We get an explanation of what Jesus meant because of Thomas's questions. So I'm, thank you, God, that Thomas asked this question. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, just before that, in my father's house are many rooms. He just says, believe in God, believe also in me. But he's just told them, I'm going away. So Thomas's question is not about the way. Thomas says, God, Jesus, we don't even know, how can we know the way if we don't know where we're going? How many of you like to joyride in the car? How many of you as a family or with anybody, you've ever gotten in the car with somebody and you said, we're going to go get something to eat, but you do not determine the place you're going to go. You just said, we're going to go get in the car and go get something to eat. Have you ever had this example? Am I the only person that's ever done this? All right. Now, in the midst of that, that car ride can be nice and exciting for a while. But after, at some point, you're going to say what? Where are we going? Right? Where are we going right now? Am I just driving around to drive around? It starts off with just a nice, like today, just a nice Sunday stroll I'm doing the old movie thing. Nobody actually drives like this. Do not drive like this. You will wreck the car. So you're, you're in the car, and you're driving, and you want to know, where am I going? What is the destination? Thomas says, Lord, how do we know the way if we don't know the destination? Now, that's important, because if I would say to you, hey, can you tell me the way? Your immediate question is what? The way to where? So I say right now, well, I want to go to Beaver Creek. Well, some of you are going to say, well, you're going to, you're going to come out here, you're going to turn left on Beaver Dam, you're going to go up Green Level West, you're going to take a right on 55, you're going to go. How many of you think that's the way I should do it? No, you guys are not about that way. So you guys think I should go on Green Level Church Road, go all the way, just keep going, turn left on Jinx, turn that right going, is that what I'm supposed to do? No. There, okay, so there's other ways that you guys think this is, but it, it depends on the destination. Where am I trying to get to? That's a fundamental 
foundational, underlying fact, truth of this passage. That Jesus is saying here, in response to Tom, the, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is not said in a vacuum. It is said immediately in response to Thomas's question, Jesus, how do we even know the way? We don't know where you're going. We don't know the destination. What are we even trying to get to? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. This leads to Philip uh, asking a question, which we'll look at in later weeks. But I want you to notice, the destination that Jesus clearly lays out is what? Because I think this is an important point, especially when our kids come back. Because we can talk of heaven as an abstract concept, separate from the person of God. Right? In fact, in the context of when this text is primarily preached, I, I, I speak at and attend a lot of funeral services, and there's a lot of times, in this context I might can say it, that we speak of heaven in very little of God. Now I want you to notice what Jesus says here is what? He, he doesn't here use the word heaven. He says no one comes to the Father. The destination is to be with God. Right? What makes heaven heaven is God's presence. What Jesus here is saying is, disciples, don't be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. That where I am, you might be also. Where's that? In my Father's house. Thomas says, look, where are we trying to get to? And Jesus says, no one comes to the Father. The point here Jesus is laying out for his disciples is the goal is to be with the Father. The goal of life, as Jesus is laying out for his disciples, is to be with God. Earlier, we sang in one of the songs, it says, uh, the one we sang right before, What a Beautiful Name, it says, uh, you didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven here. Right? When Jesus would go and preach, he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven or God. Matthew tends to use God, but the the, the, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? The, the book of Revelation, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Right? It is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. It's, it, it, the whole point of the Bible is not simply that we beam up, but that we are with God. Right? What is lost in the Garden of Eden is our relationship with God. That Adam and Eve walked with God. That is a word that means they had relationship with God. Right? The fundamental problem that all of us have in life is separation from God. That is the problem of humanity, right? Is that we were created for God, to have a relationship with Him. 
As Augustine said, our hearts were created for God and they are restless apart from him. So Jesus says, no one comes to the Father. It's important we understand the destination is the Father. The destination is being with God. Now, granted that destination, notice what Jesus then says, I am the way. So in the context here, these are not, uh, truth and life are not subordinate, but they are shedding light on what Jesus says is his being the way. So there are three things. He's the way, the truth, the life, but the truth and the life are explaining him being the way. What he's saying is, Thomas, your question is, the goal is for you to be with the Father. I am the way to be with him. Now, it's important that we understand what Jesus here means. Not what we think he means, but listen to what Jesus here says. Jesus here says to his disciples, I am the way. Like earlier when I mentioned Beaver Creek, right? We, we have a lot of ways that we can decide to get to Beaver Creek. Jesus here defines the destination and he defines the route needed for you and I to take to get to that destination. He says the destination is God the Father and the only route to get to God the Father is me. Right? This is why I said we need to let Jesus himself speak. Because Jesus makes the most absolute truth claims found anywhere in Scripture, and he makes them all about himself. Here he says, listen, you want to know the way to God the Father? The way to God the Father is me. And notice, he doesn't say, I know the way. He doesn't say, I've taught you the way. He doesn't say, I can show you the way. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the route. No one else comes to the Father except through me or by me. This is what Jesus is getting ready to do. He's getting ready to go and prepare a place for us. That is what he is doing on the cross and in, and in his death, burial, and resurrection. He is preparing the place that you and I might have a relationship with God. It is important that we understand that Jesus clearly says here, I am the way. Now, for any of you who are uh, back, in the, back in the day, there was a British TV show. I think it's still on. I don't really know. Um, there was a, a period when I was a youth pastor that one of the students or a couple of students were interested in it, so I kind of familiar, familiarized myself with it. Have you heard of the British sci-fi show Doctor Who? So there was a, so it, basically it's this, I've tried to explain this before, but somebody it's a time lord, alien. They live for a really long time. They can regenerate, which means that's a good way to keep the show running. You just change the actor or actress. And um, essentially he wakes up, new one, and uh, a doctor is checking him out. And he says, who are you? And he says, well, I'm the doctor. And then the doctor says, no, 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 I, I'm a doctor. And Doctor Who responds to the medical doctor. Well, you might be a doctor, but I'm the doctor, the definite article, you might say. What Jesus here is saying is, I am the way. There's not other ways. There's not two ways. There's not three ways. There's not actually even a way apart from me. There's not a way that I could teach you about. 
There's not a way that I could show you or demonstrate. He says, I, me, I am the way. Because he is, and this is what we'll see in coming weeks, the truth and the life. And I just, this Sunday morning, very clearly want to lay out allowing Jesus to apply what his words to us. And that is this. The only way to be with God the Father is through Jesus. That is what Jesus says to his disciples. Now we can ask questions of application of what does Jesus mean by this. We can say, well, what about those who've never heard? But as Christians, we also have to admit that we have a pretty strong command, go it's found in Matthew, it's found in Mark, it's found in Luke, it's found in John, it's found in Acts. That we're not meant to be a, a holy huddle or a social club. We're supposed to go and tell everybody about Jesus. In fact, the Great Commission in Matthew, when go and make disciples of all nations, that is pantata ethne in Greek. It literally means all peoples not just all nations. There's 200 and something nations. There's over 11,000 peoples. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all of them. Go, go proclaim the gospel. Go tell them that I am the way. That there is no other way to God the Father except through me. This is why, this is why, as Christians, we must be loving we must be charitable. We must be hospitable. As Christians, and as particularly as a Baptist, I've talked to a bunch of people about this over the last few weeks. I believe in a free, a free conscience, in a free church, in a free state. I'm a big believer in that. Right? Huge believer in that. I believe people are created equal in the image of God. I believe because of that, we all do have inalienable rights, that these rights are grounded and endowed by our Creator, not just because there's a document in our country that says that. I think that is true. I think as Christians that we can ground that in the Bible. We can hold those things high, and we should. We must also let Jesus speak, and ideas are not equal. And that truth does have consequence. And so if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, our job there is not to say, yeah, but. Because remember, Jesus had just said, trust in God, believe in God, believe also in me. And again, that doesn't just mean intellectual assent. It means to actively trust, to faith him. So we can't say, Jesus, we are trusting you if we turn around a few verses later and say, yeah, but. And we must allow Jesus to define what love is. And as C.S. Lewis says, if you come to religion to find comfort, you're never going to find it. But if you come to find truth, you might find comfort comes as a byproduct. And the comfort here is Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he actually is the way. His death and his resurrection have made it possible for you and I to be with God. And all the things we looked at over the course of the last seven months together of being in Christ, one day when we stand before God the Father and he says, and it says in the book of Acts and elsewhere that one day we all stand before the judgment seat of God, 
And he says to us, if any of you ever had that evangelism explosion or CWT or any of that kind of stuff, why should, a, why should I let you into my heaven? It's not because you attended Sunday school. It's not because you attended church. It's not even because you went to church in the middle of a pandemic. It's not because you read your Bible. It's not because you pray. It's because you trust in Jesus. It's because he made the way. It's because he is the way. And you're saying, you say to the Father, listen, I don't have any hope apart from him. He is my hope. He is the way. And so why should I? I shouldn't. There's nothing about me that would cause, but I'm in him. And my life is hidden in him. And God, my delight and my desire is for you to be the destination of my life. That I might be with you. And he's the only way that I can. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we're thankful for your great love for us in Christ. God, I pray if anyone does not know you in relationship and Jesus, the way, Father, that today would be the day of salvation. Father, as the Apostle Peter said in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. It is the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Father, he is our way. And Father, I pray that today that we would know you, that we would believe and trust you, that we would face you, and that we would trust Jesus. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.